0: From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud thunder, Gary Johnston. And let me welcome you back to the Cannabis Podcast. Is this your first time? Well, an especially warm welcome for you. You're going to find ooh, 30 or 40 minutes of cannabis information and you came to the right place. Let me remind you, this program is intended only for those 19 or older in your jurisdiction and is intended purely for entertainment purposes. You should always consume your cannabis responsibly. As the summer heats up, our cannabis crop is finally getting better. We're starting to see some beautiful flowers in our auto flowers. And I got some great stories today. How about we start with a brief history of getting high? There's some big changes coming to BC Cannabis Retail this month. One Canadian nursery has got some federal funding to help them out. And we're going to talk about the scourge of our industry, the plastic packaging. And here's something you may not have heard about. Have you heard about THCP, Tetrahydrocannabiforol? It's a recently discovered cannabinoid that is supposed to be much stronger than THC. And speaking of THC, on Cultivar Corner, it's another trip to the Kootenays for Sweetgrass Cannabis' Mendo's Stomper. All of that and more on episode 102 of the Cannabis Podcast. And before we get too far in, let me say once more, thank you so much for being a listener. I love the fact that you're here and along for the ride. And I especially want to thank some supporters who have given me a lot of support over the last couple of weeks. Thank you to Christine, who bought me a bunch of doobies and became a subscriber. Welcome aboard, Christine. Lovely to have you here. Lindy bought me some doobies, as well as she bought me five doobies, actually. Thank you so much, Lindy. Nice to have you along for the ride. And Rob... Dude, Rob, he has been a supporter since way back, I think almost as soon as the podcast began. And Rob continues to be a supporter. He bought me some more doobies this last week. Thank you so much. And thank you, of course, to all of my subscribers as well. Kevin Renewed, JS Renewed, William Renewed. We now have Christine. And of course, don't forget Jordana. She's been there right from the beginning. Thank you, Jordana. I appreciate that. It's wonderful to have all of these friends who share a common goal or a common desire, I guess, and that is to see cannabis become more of a presence in our world and lose some of that darn stigma that still exists. So thank you for being here and thank you for supporting me along this journey. From the Cannabis Infused Studio in the Clouds, this is the Cannabis Podcast. And speaking of cannabis infusion, as we often do, the inspiration for the episode today is Palmetto Platinum Cookies. A nice little sativa at about 25% THC. Perhaps it'll come up on Cultivar Corner at some point. But that's what got me going today. And let's start with a story from high times. A brief history of getting high. Several ancient societies burned hemp during funeral ceremonies. What better way to part with the dead than by getting hell Nowadays, people tend to associate the cannabis plant with Mexico, and for good reason. For decades, narcos smuggled their harvest into the United States and Europe. Along with California, Mexico is known to produce some of the finest cannabis in the world. Much of Mexico have climates that are perfect for cultivating cannabis. Year-round temperatures ranging between 70 and 85 degrees Fahrenheit with cool, long nights and low humidity. But long before cannabis was introduced to and became synonymous with the new world, it was being cultivated in the lands of Central Asia. Initially, though, the cannabis or hemp plant was grown not for its leaves but for its stems, which could be processed into a strong and durable rope. Excavations reveal that humans have been using hemp rope since the Neolithic age. The earliest evidence for burning cannabis, meanwhile, dates back to 3500 BC and is attributed to the Kurgans of modern-day Romania. This proto-Indo-European tribe probably burned the plant as part of their rituals and ceremonies, a practice that spread eastward as its practitioners migrated. Why the Kurgans burned cannabis is difficult to say. They may well have discovered the plant's psychoactive properties by accident only to find that the smoke heightened their connection with all things spiritual. The earliest evidence for smoking cannabis comes from the Pimir Mountains in Western China. There, in 2,500-year-old tombs, researchers discovered THC residue inside the burners of charred pipes that were probably used for funerary rites. Similar pipes, dated to the 12th century BC, were later found in Ethiopia, left there by separate culture. These devices, compared to pyres, would have yielded a much stronger high. Given their placement inside a crypt, however, it's safe to say they were used only ceremonially, not recreationally. Romans, too, consumed cannabis for their own pleasure, but not in the way you might expect. Like many societies of classical antiquity, they harvested the plant for its seeds rather than its leaves, which were discarded as a waste product. When grounded, the seeds were used in medicine. When fried, they were served up as delicacies during lavish dinner parties. Roman chefs mentioned cannabis seeds in the same breath as caviar and cakes. Galen, the famous Roman physician, wrote that they were consumed to stimulate an appetite for drinking. Nowadays, it's the seeds, not the leaves, that are considered useless. However, the Romans believed they too had some intoxicating properties. Galen adds that when consumed in large amounts, the seeds would send people into a warm and toxic vapor. Cannabis was so widely consumed in classical antiquity that people raised the same questions and concerns we're debating today. The Greek physician Pedanius, for instance, wrote that the plant's spherical seeds, when eaten in excess, diminish sexual potency. Modern-day cannabis users are all too aware of the connection even if they don't eat seeds. As stated by Healthline, cannabis is often associated with side effects that may affect sexual health, including erectile dysfunction. Similar to some psychedelics, the general sense of euphoria generated by cannabis may counteract or override the reception of sexual stimuli. Let's get forward a bit. Recreational smoking became especially popular after the 9th century AD. In the Middle East and Western Asia, the followers of Islam took up the habit for the simple but somewhat amusing reason that their holy scripture, the Quran, forbade the consumption of alcohol and various other intoxicating substances. Fortunately for Muslim stoners, the Quran did not say anything about weed. Of course, they smoked not just any weed, but hashish. Skipping forward again, this time to the 16th century, the century that cannabis arrived in the New World, and for the sole purpose of making rope, no less. Actually, Americans did not start smoking weed until about 100 years ago, when Mexican immigrants entered the country to seek refuge from the Mexican Revolution. For decades, the U.S. government turned a blind eye on this harmless multicultural and age-old practice, However, this changed during the Great Depression, when Washington redirected the anger of unemployed workers to their Mexican brethren. After millennia of peaceful consumption, cannabis was suddenly decried as an evil weed, and in 1937, the U.S. became the first country in the world to criminalize cannabis on a national level. The rest at this point in time has now become history as well. And you can read the full article at HighTimes.com, and that was written by Tim Brinkoff. A Brief History of Getting High. And we're going to StratCan.com for our next story written by David Brown. British Columbia is making some big changes to its cannabis market, moving towards a more streamlined approach to distribution and sales. The changes, announced over the past few weeks, will allow producers to ship products directly to BC retailers and will allow retailers to deliver those products directly to consumers. The latter change came into force on the day it was announced, July 8th, while the former will become a reality for producers and retailers on August 15th. The changes alone are both steps in the evolution of BC's cannabis market, but combined represent a shift in the industry that could mean much more of an opportunity for BC's smaller, independent growers, processors, and retailers to better differentiate themselves from a market currently dominated by uniformity. With producers able to begin sending certain BC-made cannabis products directly to BC retailers, it could help more small-batch niche cannabis products make it to retainer shelves, rather than getting lost in a sea of products Cassandra Wardrop, the general manager of Flora Cannabis with six locations in B.C., says she and her team are excited by both direct delivery from producers as well as the chance to deliver their own products to their customers with a third-party delivery service. I think this is amazing. We're really excited, says Wardrop. Those are conversations that we've been having for a while, so we've been strengthening those relationships with producers for some time now. I think this is an amazing opportunity for B.C. Bud to shine once again by being able to source closer to the farm and having regions provide cannabis that's grown in the region. And I think anything that reduces some of those hurdles of dealing with government wholesalers is a positive thing for retailers and for producers. Janine Davis, though, at Joint Ventures Craft Cannabis and Salmon Arm, which handles distribution for many of BC's smaller producers, says the extra logistical steps for processors like JVCC and their partners could be a challenge. In addition to having to take on all the distribution logistics, including handling product returns and recalls, Davis is also concerned that the BCLDB will still take a 15% markup, despite no longer having to handle or store the product. Honestly, I want to be positive, but I can't really see the benefit to our supply chain being tremendous. But the program could still evolve, and we're going to put our best foot forward, and we're certainly going to try and figure out what this could look like and how we can do or what kind of new and exciting formats we can create for the market that the BCLDB might have previously declined submissions for. Dan Sutton, the CEO of Tantalus Labs in Maple Ridge, says he shares some of Davis's concerns when it comes to the extra logistics required. While well, he can see the value in direct delivery for some small batch products to a limited number of stores, the ease of dealing with a single distributor will likely make more sense for around 95% of Tantalus sales into BC. Direct delivery is interesting, says Sutton. I think it's super interesting for craft. One downside that I see that I don't see a lot of people talking about is this is pretty complex. Tantalus has relationships that we run through a software platform for 2,000 stores across the country. That's a lot to maintain. We need a healthy sales team. So if a craft grower is going from one buyer like the LDB to many, let's say, 20 local stores, that's a lot of orders to manage and a lot of logistical complexity. There will be a learning curve. Although Sutton says he doesn't see Tantalus, which is currently around 75,000 square foot, focusing much on direct delivery, he says he could see the value for smaller runs or test runs of new crops if they could be sold directly to just a few stores. Back at Flora, Cassandra Wardrop says she was surprised by BC's announcement of allowing retailers to utilize third-party delivery and mail order. While BC previously allowed retailers to deliver using their own vehicle and staff, Flora opted out because of the added costs. Now, with the ability to outsource those services, she says she plans to start offering delivery to their consumers in the coming weeks. This was sprung on us. I felt it definitely wasn't expected, but we were excited to see it. Being able to use a third-party system is pretty huge for us. It's definitely difficult for companies to extend the labor to support a delivery program when the vehicle has to be owned and leased by the owners of the license and is just an extensive undertaking. Natasha Ray, spokesperson for Sky Cannabis in West Kelowna, says they're still looking at mail order and at third party delivery. With this change in the BC cannabis retail policy, we're excited to see how delivery could be a part of our operations. We also hope that the province continues to listen to the needs of provincial retailers and amends other policies to help our sector continue to thrive. One other option some producers and retailers have raised that still needs to be clarified by the BC government is if Farmgate retailers, once that system is allowed later this fall, will also be able to utilize forms of delivery like mail order or a third-party service. If so, this could open up a whole new opportunity for smaller producers, especially those in more remote parts of the country to get their products to consumers. And retailers' ability to utilize mail order in combination with having products delivered directly to the producer could allow those shops to serve all of BC with a unique product potentially no one else has. And it is really nice to see the cannabis landscape changing in the retail perspective in BC. These changes are, I think, eventually going to help out a lot of people in the industry, although, as was pointed out in that story, there are some complexities that we have to figure out along the way. THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me? Oh, please explain to me. Go to corner. Cultivar Corner, oh yeah, Cultivar Corner, please explain this stuff to me. On Cultivar Corner today, we're taking a rather unique approach. <laughs> I'm not suggesting this implies there was lack of planning on my part. I was looking into a specific window where I had an opportunity to do this Cultivar Corner, in that uh, the house was mine and there was not going to be any noise and I could get some things done. Unfortunately, in so doing, I didn't have my Crafty Plus charged up. <laughs> so I will add an insert later where I taste the Mendo's Stomper. So what are we doing? We are heading back to the Kootenays. We did some of their products just a few episodes ago, and that was their mint chocolate chip from the folks at Sweetgrass Cannabis. Today, we're doing Mendo's Stomper, another hybrid. They say the THC is going to be somewhere in that 26 to 29% range, and... My THC is sitting at 26.0%. So smack dab in that range. Actually, I guess right at the front of that range. The eighth was three pretty big buds. Really nice looking buds. Really love the trim on them. Uh, Hardly any sugar leaves visible. And the the aroma when you open this sucker, (laughs) 3.35% terpenes. Oh, and what an amazing amount of smell when you pop that bag. The light buds of Mendo's Stomper are light green with pastel accents punctuated with ochre pistols. Well, I think it's time we pull up the jeweler's loop and let's see if we can see some of that magic. Now, I'm not... Ochre, I guess, is kind of green, isn't it? I think that's what the color of ochre is. My new jeweler's loop. Let's take a peek. Oh, my goodness. I just love diving right in there and seeing all those frosty trichomes. Let me see those... Yeah, okay, there's some of those ochre pistols wow, this is just so frosty. (laughs) I love the looks of it. So each nug is packed with an overpowering sweet to floral aroma that leans towards its Mendel lineage. Expect to encounter a robust and zesty nose of musk and gassy chemical-like fuel. Oh. Oh, there is a lot of gas in that one. And yet, that gas on top of it, there's those sweet and floral notes. Is that farnesene? Is that is that the magical one that's bringing all those delightful aromas there? It has a sharp, sweet and sour note that points to an intermingling of berry hints and citrus rind. The taste to smell transition is spot on with this one and the effects are quick to take hold. Oh, the smell the taste transition. Well, let's give that a try. The other thing I really noticed about this is they're very sticky. Once you get that bud broken up, it sticks to your finger really well. And you can pull that up. I always like sticky weed. Of course, I generally just like weed, (laughs) don't I? Before we take a taste, let me also give you a a bit of a discussion on the label. So, Nasco is the guy responsible for marketing and all the other stuff. Had Grass cannabis. Probably does a whole bunch of other things, too. He popped into the store a week or two ago to say hi and introduce himself. Really appreciated getting to meet you, Nasco. And we had a bit of a chat I guess previously to that about the labels that they have been using. This is their first batch that went out the door that I have in my hands, the Mendo Stomper. And we've spoken about before with their previous cultivar that there was little information on the label. They are a new company, they're just getting started. Their second batch of Mendo Stomper hits the stores sometime in August. I'm gonna be really curious to see whether they have adapted the suggestions that we made and we've added those components to the label that tells us the farnesine or rather the chirping levels and the total chirps. That will be interesting to see. So once again, I will be adding a little piece where we can get the true taste of Mendo Stomper. Once the Crafty Plus gets up to proper temperature, we'll insert that here. This is probably also a good place to tell you the lineage of Mendo Stomper or genetics or Mendo Breath plus OZ Kush and Mac Stomper. Mendo Breath, OZ Kush, and Max Stomper are the three genetics. They come from a breeder called Sunken Treasure Seeds. The aroma is sweet, floral, musk, and gas. And the flavor is sweet, sour, berries, citrus, and fuel. The Crafty Plus is ready to go. Let's see what Mendo Stomper tastes like. Oh, what a difference. Those sweet floral notes just come roaring through. Definitely some muskiness. Mm. Oh, very smooth. Very smooth. And and interestingly enough, I find there's just a hint of the gas when I'm in the crafty. Mm. But definitely I'm getting those effects that they're talking about. Very relaxed, calming. I'm feeling very creative right now, actually, even though that Pause may not have indicated that. That just (laughs) indicates that that's a bit of the calming nature. Definitely happy and euphoric. And it was worth the wait to have a taste of Mendo's Stomper in the Crafty Plus. There is no question that it is just such a different experience when you can taste the weed rather than just smoke it. So it was worth the wait. Now, back to the joint experience. Let's take a look at the joint. Mendo Stomper, a hybrid sitting smack dab in the middle between an indica and sativa. The taste to smell transition spot on with this one and the effects quick to take hold. And we're testing that out with the joint. Now, what effects are we looking for? How about relaxing, calming? creative, happy, euphoric. <laughs> is it possible to have all five of those in one particular instance? Now, as is typical fashion for me with a joint, I'm not getting a lot of taste notes. Really interesting to see the comparison with the Crafty Plus as I add that in. But very, very smooth. I'm not feeding any harshness in my throat as I bring that in. The ash is coming off nice and white, drops off really easily. So a very smooth smoke. Handy effects. There is that happy euphoria coming up to my happy eyes. Not real deep, but enough to know that they're there and kind of right where I want to be today. That's why this one appealed to me, being that smack dab in the middle, Indica and Sativa hybrid, where I'm going to get some of those Sativa euphoric and, and happy notes, and then it's going to move into some relaxing and calming nature, as I get into some other things today. I've been really impressed with the work that the folks at Sweetgrass Cannabis and the Kootenays have been doing. I wanted to try a second of their cultivars because I so enjoyed the mint chocolate chip. And I have to say, I'm equally impressed with the Mendo Stomper. beta myrcene farnesine, trans are your three predominant terpenes. And the terpene total, 3.35%. Hopefully the new labels will have some of that information on it. If you want to support craft cannabis, grown well in the Kootenays, grown in living soil organically, then maybe you should try Sweetgrass Mendo Stomper. I don't think you'll be disappointed. This is one of those times where I felt I needed to do a follow-up because I've gotten really high in the interim. (laughs) The joint and the crafty plus were kind of mixed up in reverse order and fall on top of one and each other. And as you can hear, (laughs) it's had a pretty big impact. I was trying to do something on the computer and realized that I was all messed up. And I thought, oh, I guess I'm really stoned. (laughs) So be prepared. There could be a bit of a climb that occurs to you after you stop smoking. So maybe take that low and slow approach. And we're going to MJBiz Daily for our next story, written by Solomon Israel. Saskatchewan Cannabis Nursery Mother Labs' recent success securing $1.8 million in federal funding shows how Canada's cannabis industry can benefit from government financing at a time when capital is scarce. It's smart money, and it'll be truly helpful for us to grow and expand throughout the prairies and throughout Western Canada. Brian Bain, CEO of privately held Mother Labs, told MJBiz Daily. Public records show that cannabis business funding, in some cases worth millions of dollars, has been made available from a range of Canadian federal government bodies for applications including business development, expansion, and research. The investment in Mother Labs from federal agency Prairies Economic Development Canada, Prairies CAN, was announced in late June alongside funding to 10 other Saskatchewan businesses. Selling equity or raising funds from a private lender. Is particularly difficult in the contemporary cannabis sector, Bain said. Money is not easy to get for us right now, and it's not easy to get for anyone in the space, he explained. So when it comes, you have to take it. And it was definitely in line with where we were as a company at our growth stage, Bain said, adding that this was the second time Mother Labs applied for funding. As a nursery, Mother Labs supplies licensed Canadian marijuana producers with starting materials and helps them source and manage cannabis genetics. If a grower has a genetic, let's say it's dirty or they don't want to grow it for a few years. We can take that in, store it, help them manage it, and give it back to them, Bain explained. Mother Labs government funding comes in the form of an interest-free loan meant to match funds from the company, Chief Financial Officer Jeff Barossa wrote in an email to MJBiz. Barossa said the nursery has a three-year window to execute its project using the funds, followed by a five-year repayment period. The loan is interest-free as long as payments are made on time, he wrote. CEO Bain said Saskatoon-based Mother Labs will use the money to expand into British Columbia, as well as investing in automation and hiring new talent. He described the application process as quite arduous, particularly in the fast-changing cannabis space. They need detail in terms of where the capital is being utilized, what the plan is, how it benefits the province, how many hires it will involve. There's a lot of information. A lot of due diligence we have to go through to really be able to accurately predict the future. Nevertheless, Bain believes the funding application process was roughly as much work as applying for funding from a bank. And he noted that a bank might be a little less risk tolerant. This is definitely something to help emerging businesses, he said, adding that banks typically want a sure bet. Prairie's Can is one of seven regional development agencies that fall under the portfolio of Canada's Federal Innovation, Science, and Economic Development Ministry. Other ISED regional development agencies have funded cannabis business initiatives as well. A spokesperson for the Atlantic Canada Opportunities Agency, another regional development group, said applications for funding are judged based on criteria including compliance, economic benefit, and agency priorities – Agencies also evaluate potential recipients' technical and financial management capacities as well as their ability to deliver their proposed project activities. The biggest Canadian government contribution to the cannabis industry listed on the Open Government Portal is nearly $5.4 million from Prairie's Can to Alberta-based PBG Biopharma to increase manufacturing capacity, lasting from 2022 to 2025. A primary can spokesperson recommended companies visit the agency's website to learn about the funding programs, as well as ISED's Business Benefits Finder to search for government support opportunities. So it's nice to see the federal government providing some funding for some of these cannabis companies to just make our industry a whole lot better. And it sounds like what they're doing with Mother Labs is going to help them penetrate into the BC market, and then I see that as a good thing. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one token at a time. This is the Cannabis Podcast. And we are off to 420intel.com for our next story. Did you know that one of the most hyped up cannabinoids to hit the hemp market in recent years has been THCP? Tetrahydrocannabinforal. Trust us when we say the hype around THCP is thoroughly warranted. This is potentially the most potent cannabinoid in all of a hemp plant with a strength thought to be 33 times stronger than regular THC. Yes, 33 times stronger. However, because it's so new, there's still a lot to learn about it. What is THCP and what makes it so special? Tetrahydrocannabiforol is a naturally occurring cannabinoid that was discovered only in late 2019. A group of cannabis researchers uncovered it by accident when applying the more advanced chromatography-based analysis methods as a sample of the hemp plant. That being said, this is a completely natural cannabinoid that exists in hemp in very, very trace amounts. It's not a synthetic cannabinoid, and it has been in the plant since the plant's existence, despite us only knowing about it recently. The key thing that makes THCP such a fascinating cannabinoid is how it appears to attach to CB1 receptors in the brain at about... 33 times the rate of Delta-9-THC. Basically, it offers some pretty powerful effects that can put other cannabinoids to shame. No offense to Delta-9-THC, Delta-8-THC, and Delta-10-THC and the like. THCP products are the pinnacle products on the market. Has THCP been researched? We're glad you asked. Yes. THCP is a cannabinoid that has been studied by researchers. This paper comes from the same researchers who first discovered the cannabinoid but because the cannabinoid has been around for less than a few years, there isn't a lot of material available to learn more about it. Fortunately, the research conducted by the initial team is surprisingly thorough, giving us a lot of necessary information about the cannabinoid's relationship with the body's endocannabinoid system, a number of potential properties, and its potency. Tetrahydrocannabiphorol is a cannabinoid that, like others, regulates various functions of the body to work toward getting us into homeostasis. But without a doubt, the main purpose of THCP is recreational. Its high is estimated to be about 10 times as intoxicating as Delta-9-THC, meaning it can get you exquisitely high. THC products are said to offer a very euphoric high that can include uplifting qualities to mood in a powerful way. The high is naturally going to be somewhat different for everyone and so will depend on other factors as well as delivery method, dosage amount and strain type. Aside from that, we should point out that this may not be the best choice for someone who has never taken any psychoactive cannabinoids before because it is so potent. Again, peer-reviewed research on THCP is very limited, but right now it's been suggested that THCP can pretty much do everything that Delta-9 can do, but more powerfully. Researchers have found that THCP possesses the same potential to address common complaints like nausea, low appetite, physical discomfort, inflammation, poor mood, poor sleep, and even neurological dysfunction, but possibly in a more potent way because of how the cannabinoid works so strongly on CB1 receptors throughout the nervous system. So there you go. Interesting identification of a new cannabinoid or relatively new to us, 2019 when it was discovered, potentially 33 times more effective at the CB1 receptors than Delta 9 THC. Hmm. We better keep our eyes on this one. And we're going to stay at 420intel.com for our next story about plastic waste and what a problem it's becoming, especially in the cannabis industry. In 2019, the environmental company ReWaste estimated that between 12.7 and 14.1 million pounds of plastic from cannabis packaging ended up in landfills between October 2018 and August 2019, Since cannabis became legal in Canada, sustainability still leaves room for improvement, mitigating the millions of pounds of plastic packaging that legal marijuana produces every year. According to reporting by Leafly, in 2018, the first year of cannabis legalization in Canada, solid black plastic containers were the most visible containers on the market. Additionally, several brands have opted to package their cannabis products in fancy-looking but non-recyclable packaging. Also, jars, which are common for selling flowers, take decades to decompose, which pump toxins into the soil and eventually make their way into the nearest ocean. It's difficult to quantify the market plastic waste problem, but the overall impact has been negative. In 2019, the environmental company Rewaste estimated that between 5.8 and 6.4 million kilograms of plastic from cannabis packaging ended up in landfills. Plastic waste and the cannabis industry tend to go hand in hand. But our specialized process works to mitigate the impacts of this plastic waste on the environment, ReWay said on its website. In the meantime, cannabis sales and the variety of products available have only increased. A CBC report found that for every gram of cannabis sold legally, up to 70 grams of plastic waste was generated. It's really shameful, said Rami Robichaud of Moncton. Being a coastal province, they should do something about the amount of plastic that goes into our ocean. Marijuana packaging waste is an issue that involves the incipient industry, extending from regulators and producers to consumers. However, industry-wide efforts to promote the implementation of the use of recycled materials and encourage consumers to recycle packaging are visible. As an example, Vermont's Cannabis Control Board recently released its guidance on packaging to reduce the amount of plastic waste being generated by the industry in the state. According to the guidance, packaging intended for consumer purchase at retail locations needs to be reusable and not plastic. All packaging should be capable of repeated recovery, sanitation, and reissue into the supply chain for repeated use. Examples of reusable non-plastic packaging materials mentioned in the document include glass, tin, cardboard, and bamboo. And now that article was written by Joanna Scopel, and I think we all have to agree that the packaging in cannabis has to change. We can't keep dumping all this plastic into the world. It's going to take so many years to decompose, if it ever will. There's got to be a better way. From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. And once again, let me thank you for being here. I really appreciate the time you take for the involvement. And it makes my job just a whole lot easier and and a whole lot more fun. If you ever have a comment on anything you hear on the Cannabis Podcast, please send a note to info at CannabisPodcast.com. You can also check us out on the socials at Cannabis Podcast. And remember, if you like what you hear and you would like to support the podcast, you can go to BuyMeACoffee.com slash Cannabis Podcast. And if you feel like it, you can buy me a doobie. That wraps it up for episode 102 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the Cannabis Infused Studio, high above the Okanagan Valley... This was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, Come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.